Amen. Right? Thank you, Matt and the worship team. Certainly, he needs to be with us all the time. We are nothing without him. I probably could just have Gazel come back up because she was preaching this morning. Right? I can just ask her a few more questions and just throw the notes away. Amen. Yeah, don't say it too loud. But I, I had my own cheering section uh, earlier. As mentioned, I'm Brian Cross, one of the lay elders here. And God's been working on my heart. I want this to be a transparent message. God's been working on me. And the topic is the fear of the Lord and what it means to me and what, what I've been failing at, to be honest with you. You know, we sing those worship songs and God's worthy. He's worthy of our praise because he's holy. He desires our praises. He even says he inhabits the praises of his people. So he's here as we praise him. Talk about fears. You know, you might have fear of death. Although if you're a believer, that, it may not be so much such a bad thing to experience death because then we're in the presence of God. But we still may have a fear of the process of dying. Fear of sharks, if you have that. I know swimming in the ocean, you don't know what's below you, maybe. Fear, well, claustrophobia. I don't like tight spaces, even though I can fit in tight spaces. Fear of rejection. Fear of public speaking sometimes, right? And there's one that, that gets me, and, and I chose to do this years ago. We went to Disney World, and I chose to get on this ride, and I, I shouldn't have. But it's, it's called the free fall, I think is what it's called. And, and it didn't look as high as I thought until I got up there. And you're in this cage. If you've been there, if you've been this, maybe it's in different parks. But get to the top, and I'm like, it's got to stop. And finally, it slams, stop, shut. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then they, they push you out away from the, the tube that you're on. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? And I remember my wife, Brittany, she is... She is sticking her head out, and I think she's laughing at me because I'm like, I want to get down. I want to get down, and it, I did get down, obviously, but not, not the fear was real, so I experienced that. But that's not what we're going to be covering today, right? Not my fears, not your fears. I'm sure there's people in the audience that probably can address some of those fears you might have and help you and get counseling, and I probably need some counseling for some of my fears, but that's not today. As my, Matt mentioned, you know, the fear of the Lord is, a, is an interesting and a deep topic. But before I, before I start, let me pray for us that God would be, again, present as I share. So pray with me. Father God, I, I come before you, we come before you, and we are humbled at who you are as we sung earlier. Your relentless love pursues us. We're not here today unless you pursued us and you've given, it, given us an opportunity to know who you are. So, Father, as we open up your word, we ask that you would be present and your Holy Spirit would challenge and would encourage and would convict change in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you spend any time in Psalms or Proverbs, if you're paying attention, I don't mean that in a bad way, but you can't miss the topic of the fear of the Lord. Sure, there's a lot of other things, but the fear of the Lord is, is central to what David and the Proverbs speak of. Now, 
I'm going to have three questions today. Matt Rice said, you got to tell them what you're going to teach them today. Three questions. One, what is the fear of the Lord? One, what is the fear of the Lord? Not quite yet on that question, but it's on the screen. Second question, does it apply to us today? Does it apply to us today? Or is it just an Old Testament thing? We go, we went through Leviticus, you read it, and you're like, there's a lot of stuff in here that I don't really want to obey or do. That's not appropriate, perhaps, for me today. But is this appropriate for us today? And if number two is correct, spoiler alert, it is applicable for us today, then what do we do with that? What do we do with that information? So you have to apologize up front. Let me jump around a couple. I'm, I'm going to be in the Old Testament, then I'm going to be in the New Testament, jump back in the Old Testament, keeping it in context, but I, I believe it's important to be able to connect the Old Testament fear of the Lord with Maybe not the phrase fear of the Lord in the New Testament, but what it actually is saying to us about the fear of the Lord. So follow me along. Do you have your copies of Scripture? First verse is Proverbs 1-7. Proverbs 1-7. Love a turning of pages in Scripture. So as we read these verses, I want us to read it together. We're going to read the first verse and the second verse, and then I'll, I'll share a little bit about those two verses. So as we read this, let's do it together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Second verse there in 9:10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So put it simply, those are pretty straightforward verses, but those words, that I'm going to break out two words, the word the beginning or the word beginning in 1-7 means the principal thing or the primary thing. And in the second verse there, 9-10, the word beginning, it means the first step. So if we take that and apply that, you cannot have wisdom, understanding, Knowledge. And this isn't talking about worldly knowledge or book knowledge or your work knowledge. This is godly wisdom, godly understanding. We can look at books and understand things and then apply it to our lives. That's not what this is referring to. This is spiritual and godly wisdom. So you cannot have wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Certainly we don't want to be fools, but we can't have all that unless we have the fear of the Lord primarily or first. That's the first step. So, first question. Since it is the foundation of wisdom, what is the fear of the Lord? What is it? You know, you're not supposed to define a word by the word, but the fear of the Lord, it's actually fear. It's trembling or terror. Or to be very afraid. So as I define it, that's, that's actually what it is. So a little bonus question, a little bit. I, I said there were three. This is kind of the why behind the what is the fear of the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now, if you're turning there, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, it might be hard to find on your phone. It's pretty easy. 
Solomon, considered to be the wisest man, certainly in the Old Testament, but maybe in the Bible outside of Jesus. At the end of his life, he, he did not spare himself anything. Anything he could do, he did. So his conclusion, the wisest man in the Old Testament will say, as we read it together, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. It's a sobering, sobering verse. Now, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to us? I have a, a working definition. It's not perfect, but it's, it's my definition for what the fear of the Lord is and kind of what it, what it means. Let's define it. Should be on the screen there. Let's read this together. As I said, it's, it's my definition, but I think I've drawn from some scriptures to give me this definition. To acknowledge and embrace that God is absolutely holy, perfect, and just. And he will hold all mankind, believer and unbeliever, accountable for our words, thoughts, and actions. And he will be faithful in what he says he will do in his word. You know, knowing what the fear of the Lord and doing what the fear of the Lord are two different things. Let's jump to the New Testament. Luke 14, 27. This is what Jesus talks about. And he is very bold at what he says. Luke 14, 27. This is him talking to the multitudes, not just his disciples. This is not what he would be told to do if he's trying to grow a church or to make disciples. You wouldn't say these kinds of things if you're trying to win friends and influence people. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we, we throw around that phrase quite a lot. We just said it a couple times today, right? Disciples making disciples. But this verse here, it has to give us a pause. Are we, are we his disciple? What does that mean to carry your own cross? It means, it means we surrender everything. We die. We die because he's worth it. Because we want to follow him. He's pretty clear. In order to be his disciple, you die for me. You give up your life for me. Next, Romans 11. I'm jumping in a couple verses here just to prove the point that the fear of the Lord is, in fact, shown in the New Testament. Now, this, this, these five verses here, there's a lot, a lot to them. But I'm going to pick out just a couple of points. Read those together. Um, I think that's just, maybe I didn't do the whole chapter, but or the whole five verses. Quite right, they were broken off re regarding the Israelites who were broken off for the believers to come to Christ. But you stand, referring to us as believers, by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Another sobering verse. Realize it's not about us. You know, Gazel said earlier, it's about abiding in. Abiding in the vine. 
or the tree in this case. We're, God doesn't need us. We need him. And we can't do anything apart from him. So that's what that verse is referring to, about not becoming conceited, thinking, all right, I'm good. My life looks good. I have what I have. I'm set. I'm putting away money for the future. Everything seems pretty good. I can just keep going on, doing on. And, and honestly, there, there may be a time in your life, or maybe now, that you think everything's good. But maybe in reality, it's, it's not. Don't, don't think that God's mercy and grace is going to be forever if you're being disobedient. This is the verse that makes us go, well, I don't want to become arrogant and conceited thinking that I've got things all together. I don't, I don't need this anymore. The first verse says we need, uh, Jesus says we need to die daily. The last section, Romans 12. A lot more familiar to us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Another challenging section of scripture. Paul is again talking to believers. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know that, let me read the first part of that verse. It didn't quite get on the slide. The first verse, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Then we have, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect, acceptable and perfect. So I don't believe this is just an Old Testament idea. Personal example in my life that I think God's been working on, I know God's been working on me. We, we have a, a garden, I, would, I use that term loosely. We have some raised beds in the back, we have some tomatoes and some, I think they're cucumbers, but they're actually zucchinis. That we have some tomatoes and some potatoes, so a small little garden. But what I'm, I'm reminded of, if, if myself or if Brittany isn't out there every day, checking on the soil, the weeds are growing, even if you pull them, you don't get the root or you go back out and you're, you're like, okay, this area looks pretty good. The next day, there's, there's one you pull, it's barely on the surface, and you pull it out, it's like six inches long of a root. So I, I apply that to this fear of the Lord. And what does that look like in my life? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate my soil, the soil of my heart? And, and I have to say, no, I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job. And we all, we all fail. We all sin and fall short. I, I get that. But this is an everyday thing that God's been challenging. Am I offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, every day? Am I dying daily so that the Lord can use me, not for my glory, but for, for my life to point people that you put on that list or you put on that screen, your neighbors, whoever you have on there, is your life doing that? And so the challenge for me that I want to get to share with you is how is your soil? 
You know, these are, those roots were hidden. I thought I, it looked good, but the root was hidden. And until I, I dug it up, I found that there's stuff in there that I might not have been aware of. So I, I look at my own heart. Is that true of me? Are there things in my life that, is, that are hidden, either, either because my heart is, is inherently wicked or is because I'm not paying attention or I'm not being intentional about the sin in my life? You know, that goes back to the fear of the Lord. The, one of the major things, the, the definition, I'll, I'll read that again for us, to acknowledge and embrace that God is absolutely holy. He is absolutely holy. We sing about it. We read about it. We know scripture. He's holy. And he's perfect. And he, he can't deal with sin. Well, he does deal with sin. But so do we have to deal with it as well. And he's going to hold us accountable. To everything that we say and do. Every careless word. Every careless thought or action. He's going to hold us accountable. So it's our job to look at the fear of the Lord and go, God, is there something in my life? Are there many things in my life that are hidden or that I'm just allowing? If I look at my garden, I'm like, I'm just going to allow those weeds to grow. That wouldn't be appropriate either. But is that my heart? Am I allowing that to happen? You know, that there's a quote by Tim Keller, I think it was years and years ago, where he said that pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. I, I think about that, that phrase. And you don't, you don't smell it, it, but it can kill you. So in that, in that section of five verses in Romans 11, where it talks about don't become conceited, that's what I picture as I'm not even paying attention, not paying attention to fear of the Lord and what it's doing to me. It's, it's ruining my witness to those around me. For my detriment, because God will use someone else, right? God will use, he's, his plan is going to be accomplished. Amen? He's coming back someday, and his plan will be accomplished. All right, two questions down, final question. If number two is true, then what do we do about this information? You know, all of us are we're smart enough to say, okay, you have a piece of information, you decide, is it true? Is this guy up here saying something that isn't legitimate? Uh, I would love for you, as Paul describes the Berean. Right? He says, they read the scriptures to see what I'm saying is accurate or not. So if this is true, if we're supposed to die daily, if we're supposed to sacrifice our life and be abiding in Christ alone, then, then what do we do with that information? To be honest, right, some of us, me included, will go, well, everything's okay. I may not have to be so urgent of dying daily. Everything's okay. And until some things get bumpy, that's when we begin to go, well, wait, wait, wait a second. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. So what do we do with that? First, is it true? Second is, do I, do I believe it is applicable to my life? Can I get along without putting that to action? And in a worldly speaking sense, yeah, you probably can. But because of the definition of what the fear of the Lord is, God's going to hold you accountable for your life. 
We need to address that. Heavy stuff. The application, the application of it. I have a couple applications, but one major one. Now that we know what the definition of the Lord is, maybe the scriptures in the New Testament say it's applicable to us. Third is what do we do with it? The application is pretty simple in terms of a one-word answer. Obedience. Right? It's pretty, it's pretty simple as far as what we know we have to do. But are we going to do it? Are we going to be obedient? You know, there's a Psalms. I'll read the Psalms together. Psalm 86. And this is about our God. This is praising and worshiping our God. So as I read it, it's a, it's a worship. You know, not only are we singing worship songs, but what did Romans 12, 1 and 2 said? This is our spiritual act of worship. Not only just words that we sing or words that we read. God is, God is real and he's holy and he desires a relationship with us. An intimate relationship with us. So as we read these words, think about that. Let's read. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Teach me your way, O Lord. We'll walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and glorify your name forever. You know, we sang that song. I love the word relentless. And it became a, a, a different word for me when, when I met Matt Rice. But I loved that word growing up and when my kids were younger because I wanted to stick at things and go and go and fight hard. You know, he says diabetes is, is relentless. And I, I know because one of my sons has type 1 diabetes. So it is relentless every day. But that's, that's the Lord's love for us. He's relentless. But the end of that, he saves us. We put our trust in him. Saves us from hell. Pretty clear. That should somewhat be a motivating factor. Not just to have a relationship with the Lord. Certainly that's more important. But what he, what he gives to us. Now I have to shout out to my, my sister Sandy. We talked a few weeks ago because I, I love the book of Revelation. And I'm, I've been studying the book of Revelation and a lot of sermons. And even reading it with some some friends of mine, as much as I can make it to our meetings, uh, I keep missing our morning meetings, but put up the last verse for me, and I, I want to highlight this, and I was amazed when John is writing this. Now, the context of this is, if you, if you know your Bibles, this is almost the very end, and Roman, or Revelation 14 is almost the end of the book, and yet God in his mercy, this is what struck me. God in his mercy and his grace. There's only evil left in the world. We don't need to get into eschatology right today. That's a, that's a different topic. But 144,000 witnesses are sharing. Doesn't appear to be much good going on in the world. And yet God does this. For he said with a loud voice. Actually, go back to 
Let me read, let me read the whole thing. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is at the very end where there may or may not be believers from the church on the earth. And yet God in his great wisdom and mercy is still pleading, pleading with people, his creation, to repent, fear God, and worship him. That's a, that's a gracious God. That's a God that I, I wouldn't be like him. I would have said, that's enough. I'm done. But he kept saying, a little while longer, I want more people to come into relationship with me. You know, as we, as we close, I wanted to have a challenge for us today. We know what the fear of the Lord is. Know what it means. What do we do with it? And how do we apply it to our lives to be obedient? We want to be obedient. As we pray, I want every head bowed and eyes closed. And I, I pray that this, this fear of the Lord and him crying out for you has stirred your heart to be obedient. And not just, not just, for, not just for now, not just for today, but that every day you, you spend time with your Lord and, and Savior. I'm going to challenge in my prayer. So as we pray, as I said, keep every eye closed, every head bowed. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, for your scripture, what it teaches us. It challenges us and encourages us. We, we know it's not about us. We know it's abiding in you. You're the only reason we produce fruit. It's your fruit that comes out of our lives. So, Father, this obedience thing seems so simple, and yet at times it can be so challenging because we're apathetic. So, Father, as we close out this service, my challenge is for anyone in this room who knows the truth but hasn't been obedient to the truth. They are disciples, but they're not walking as disciples. If that's you in this room, I ask that you would repent and walk back with God. He never left you. You may not be walking with him. Fear God. Turn. If that's you, if you want to, as a believer, but you haven't been walking with him, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to come back to him. Repent. Secondly, for those who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, who can't apply this message because they don't, they don't have a relationship with you. If you're one of those, I ask that you be bold and raise your hand, that you would offer your life to the living Lord. Thank you. So, Father, as we close the service,
We ask that you would go with us, be with us. Thank you for your encouragement that you love us so much and that you're holy and you desire for us to die daily, pick up our cross, and follow after you. Thanks again for this message and for the people that you have in this room. May we be changed into more of your image. In Jesus' name, amen.